welcome to We Never Met, the podcast where I have interesting strangers on every single week. Today we have... Shirley Keenitz. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. You just came on in and uh, uh, so when did you, because you are the owner of Wolf Bait and Bee Girls. That's right. How long have you been... how long has it been? It's in Logan Square, correct? It's in Logan Square yeah. on the roundabout. And we've been in that same location for nearly 14 years. Nice. That's 14 years. Does yeah. it feel like 14 years? Some days it feels longer. <laughs> Some days it feels like a real wild week, you know? Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah. yeah. So were you in a spot before that or was that the first spot the store was at? That's the first spot and only spot for Wolf Bait and Beagles. Wow. And so um, when you initially started the or when you had the concept of the idea, um, when did that start? How much earlier was that? Well, I also have a business partner, Ms. Okay. Jenny Stadler, mm-hmm. and uh, we were both hawking our wares through different pop-ups and um, selling them to independent boutiques like Penelope's here in Wicker mm-hmm. Park, the first boutique to carry my line. Oh, nice. Uh, back in 2003. Uh And we met through that kind of collective atmosphere of makers trying to get together and create a venue where we could showcase what we were doing. Um, At that time, most of what boutiques were buying were very name brand oriented. Mm. So they weren't very interested in experimenting with up and comers. Sure. Um, Since then, the shop small and independent artisan and everything that's happened on the internet with social media has completely changed that landscape. Yeah. but it started just as a need for a space to create mm-hmm. a workshop and then a place to sell a venue. Yeah. What do you think the shift was in sort of that, um, where it was really hard to get your stuff in stores at the beginning and then there's sort of shit. What was, what do you think that shift was in people that mm. kind of gravitated more towards small businesses and were, were more interested in more unique sort of one-off things that they can only get, you know, once. Right. Yeah. Um, Well, I think it's like been a long, slow shift and it's hard to see the parallels of that culture with where we are politically right now. Mm. But I think that more and more people are aware of like the dangers of fast fashion now. It's similar to like the slow food, organic food movement and that the more educated people are, the more more educated their choices, right? So yeah, yeah. it wasn't really, and perhaps because of the available information now with Mm. the internet and social media. Sure. People weren't really conscious of where their clothes were coming from or who might be harmed in the making of those goods. I think people are a lot more educated about those aspects of their consumerism today. Yeah. And um, I think also as the global economy booms and we're all connected to the internet, mm-hmm. the idea of individuality has changed. Yeah. And the more that you can find a way to represent yourself that is truly unique and not something that's available across the country in every target changes. Yeah. It's just it's target. very different. Or a lot of what we sell are gifts. You know, mm, we we sure. have complimentary gift wrapping and we wrap a large portion of what we sell. Yeah. And when you're trying to show someone else that you care about them it's very hard to do it Here's in like a mass produ- yeah yeah they're yeah. gonna see it in the clearance bin a week later when they're buying their groceries <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know yeah. so um there's a kind of thoughtfulness that goes into it and i like to think a kind of magic you know someone's yeah. really pouring themselves into what they make and at wolf bait the artist often gets a time to connect directly with the customer and yeah. i think that that is beneficial for both parts yeah yeah definitely and so what got you initially into before the even store started like designing clothes and sort of in, in that sphere? 
Were you always um, a designer at heart, you think? Well, I always made my own clothes. My mom taught me how to sew. How young were you? Uh, she would make something for me and I would make it for my doll. So it was like oh, very really young. Good, yeah. yeah, yeah. The chain continues. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my mom was very into like the total look. Fashion was like very much a big part of her life. Mm. And so it was a big part of mine because we were close. Right. And um, we still are. And uh, I made stuff for myself just out of a, out of an urge to be creative, out yeah. of a, there were sewing machines at my house that was available to me. Yeah. Um, and when I was young, there was other things I wanted to do, but a lot of wise people in my life told me that this is what I would end up doing. Mm. And I tried a lot of other things before uh, I proved them right. Right, right, right. Um, but uh, I actually went to fashion school like on accident. I had been really? traveling and backpacking and living in a hostel in Amsterdam where I met a young lady who had a beach house in California. <laughs> Like traveled across the country. Sounds for, like a movie. Like a, <laughs> like a movie Wanderlust sequence. was like the yeah. the main compass, I guess, of yeah. my early years. But I fell in love with my now husband, Mr. Jeremy Keenitz. Yeah. And he was a neighbor in California. And I needed a reason to stay in California besides just a boy. Yeah, because who wants to say <laughs> that? You know? That wasn't how I was living. <laughs> So I was actually looking through the yellow pages because we're talking like 2000s, mm, right? We didn't yeah. even have computers in our apartments, yep. especially us uh, maybe income challenged young people. Yeah. Um, and I saw an advertisement for a scholarship to the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising in San Francisco. Wow. And in that backpack I had been living out of, I did have a lot of stuff that I had made. Sure. So I took that and went to Kinko's, if anybody remembers Kinko's. Yeah, I used to go there. <laughs> created like a slapdash portfolio yeah. of my self-made creations. And I won that scholarship to fit them and went to wow. fashion school kind of on accident. Yeah. That's a really serendipitous sort of uh, yeah. way to get there. Yeah. So then when you went to fashion school and did all that... Um, did that sort of solidify the fact that you wanted to be a designer or were there points of like, I don't know if I want to do this or the whole know? time I was in fashion school, I really wanted to work for somebody else. And I was oh, like really? one of the only people in my cohort that was like, I was like, just, just someone give me a job where I can be creative. Just <laughs> yeah, like yeah, make yeah. it so I can go every right. day and be creative and not really be responsible for anything Right. because of the kind of lifestyle I had. I wasn't like seeking excessive amounts of responsibility. <laughs> right. Right. Or you managing can imagine. other people. Yeah. Like none of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but as soon as I finished school, I moved to Chicago with my now husband and started my collection and started, uh, hawking it wherever I could mm -hmm. at pop-ups and other things like that. It wasn't my intention really to be an entrepreneur at that time, mm -hmm. but when you look like hindsight, right. I had started my own little day camp for kids as a teenager. I had, oh, really? you know, like I had to, I had all sorts of like little side gigs that I was, I was always like a hustler. You were hustling, you yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but most of it just came out of necessity sure. and by being slightly unusual. Mm. So it was hard for me to follow maybe what is a more traditional path. It just wasn't as clear to me as sure. it is to some people. Yeah. So I don't feel like I sought out an unusual path. I just happened to be unusual. So it, yeah. it was my path. <laughs> yeah, that's just how it worked. Yeah. Um, so then when you started the store, um, were you nervous at all since you sort of had that pass of like, eh, I don't know if I want to manage people or have responsibility and stuff? Was there, it there was a, a lot of doubts at that time because yeah. I was kind of like betting on money I didn't have. And mm. 
Um, it was easier though because I didn't have anything to lose either. Sure. Um, now it's harder for me to take risks because I have two young children. Sure. I have a mortgage payment. It's uh, more than just you, you know? Yeah. 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 It's a little bit different. More complicated. But I recently uh, went through, like we all do throughout our lives, a mm -hmm. uh, change of perspective. Mm. Um, I think when I first became a mother, I was really trying to hang on to what was working for me and make sure I didn't F it up. Yeah. But... Now that I've become more comfortable at, in that role in my life, I feel ready to take risks again. Sure. And now instead of thinking like, I don't want to deteriorate any of the success that Wolf Bait has made, not only for me, but for the 300 plus makers that we represent that now right. count on that as part of their livelihood, you know, talk about dependency. There's a lot yeah, of, of interrelated <laughs> yeah. stuff going on yeah. there. Um, but now I feel like I've been lucky enough to have this opportunity to experience some success. And now I really want to push it and do yeah. everything that I find important in life through this outlet, as yeah. opposed to trying keeping it safe and separate. Now I really want to push it into other things I'm interested in, like sure. community organization and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that, cause that's important too. And you, you guys do events as well. We do a lot of events. Yeah. We do a lot of like, we like to call it community centered commerce. Right. So like everything we're doing is about bringing people together and mm -hmm. giving back in like a social give back kind of platform way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what's interesting, I talked to, um, some other entrepreneurs and like, uh, owners of stores like Jeff Hohen, who actually recommended the, you to be on the podcast. Oh, she interesting. has a store up in, um, Milwaukee, Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah, called Beard MKE. Yeah, um, and I had him on the on the podcast, and he was one of the people that told me to have you on because uh, your store was a big inspiration for him starting a store up there as well. And that's the perfect example of collaborate, don't compete. Yeah. Because instead of being like upset that someone else is interested in doing something in the same venue that we're doing, mm -hmm. you know, kind of supporting local artists, we saw it as a great opportunity for our artists to get into a shop in Milwaukee. Yeah. You know, we were like, yes, we have people that would be great for what you're doing. Yeah, and yeah. the better they do, the better we do, the better we're all right. promoting this kind of lifestyle, this kind of conscientious consumerism, the better it is for artists throughout Chicago, Milwaukee, right, throughout right. the country, just the way that we value people as artisans yeah. and um, things that have been created as opposed to just produced. Right. Yeah. So, and I was asking him and I asked Steph Davies who owns the wax wing up there as well. Mm -hmm. so, I love yeah. the wax wing. Yeah. 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 Um, Both great shops. Yeah. And, and I asked him sort of like how they curate, cause you only have like a certain amount of space, right. obviously. So you have to say no to somebody. Like, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are like, I want to be in that. And you're like, Oh, well, we have any... some guidelines, like most referring to quality. Sure. And then the line between shopper and seller at Wolfbait is very blurred. So we explain mm. to hopefuls that you have to exceed the average DIYer's capabilities or access to materials. Oh, so I most of the mean. people that are shopping there are also creative individuals. Right. Um, you have to offer them something that's beyond they what do they themselves. Right. We right. don't want to hear. I could make that all day. You know. <laughs> Just looking to point at everything. Yeah, yeah. There that. is a meme that I really like though. That's like, <laughs> why would I pay ten dollars for this when I could make it with a hundred dollars worth of craft supplies? You <laughs> yeah. know. Because yeah, yeah. like there is exactly. some effort and yeah, involved for sure. Um, but I'm very happy for those people and the successes that they found in Milwaukee. Yeah, 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 yeah. very much. And that's so funny you bring that up because I, I try to make stuff instead of like just buy uh, my fiance gifts. Oh, so right. I tried to make yeah. candles one year. 
oh my gosh, it costs so much money just to make candles. Especially if you only do it one time. Yeah, exactly. We offer a lot of great workshops at Wolfbait, especially leading up to the holidays to mm. encourage people to make their own gifts. Maybe I'll go to so one we of have those. like candle making classes. Yeah. You can make one or two candles within the two hour format. Yeah. We have an earring making workshop, air plant holder making, which is like some oh. wire work. It's really cool. Yeah, that is cool. Um, we also have like some new year's workshop set up that are going to be like an aura cleanser and it's like an aromatherapy and crystal concoction that you create wow. yourself yeah and then we also have uh an astrologist that's going to do birth charts there oh, as wow. well you guys cover like a gamut of stuff really we're up for anything yeah. and like you were asking before about like how we decide yeah um Besides those restrictions about right. being beyond what our customer is capable of. Because mostly Chicago or almost all, right? Chicago yep. makers in your store. Mm -hmm. yeah. And Chicago based fair trade. Yeah. Uh, is not only that it has to exceed the customer's capabilities, but it's also customer curated. So the way our consignment contract is set up, you have a certain amount of time to sell your item at the price that you choose. Mm. But then after that, if it doesn't sell, you got to mark it down. If it still doesn't sell, you got to pick it up. Mm. So like we can try things that maybe aren't my taste. Yeah. And they're successful because it's customer curated. The customer decides really what they cool want to see. Yeah. You know, I never would have thought of that. Yeah, yeah, and and it changes with the neighborhood and trends. A lot of people are really popular at the onset, but because we have such a reliable returning customer, mm. everybody who wanted it bought it. Already got it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so and it's time to do something new. Yeah, yeah. 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 But it keeps you uh, innovative. Yeah. And uh, it's also like realistic because it is commerce. Sure. And fashion is trend based. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. So I guess from the so from the start till now, since it's been open for over ten years, um, what things did you not sort of see in the entrepreneurial world, or like you know challenges that came up when you got when you got started that you wish you would have known? <laughs> And having done them now, was there mm. any like really hard things for you that you didn't even see coming? As far as like, there were certainly a lot of challenges, yeah, a lot of like uh, trial by fire, but uh, I'm nothing if I'm not ambitious. So yeah. I think that those kept me engaged. Mm. And if it had been smooth sailing, maybe I would have lost interest. Yeah, bored. Yeah. I also this past year did the 10,000 small businesses program that the Goldman oh. Sachs scholarship puts out through what Harold Washington College. It's like a continuing education program for people who've owned their business for at least five years. Okay. And um, like they have some silly slogans that are like, it's getting a master's in your business. Um, <laughs> you could do their commercials. <laughs> I could. Yeah. Hey, yeah. anyone. Uh, it's, it was great for me being that I went to a fashion school. I went to a trade school. I got an yeah. associate of arts degree in pattern making, like very specific to a skill set that sure. I use to create clothes. All the stuff I learned in a business way was like from my accountant, who's been very generous with her knowledge mm -hmm. or from like friends or from experience. And this gave me an opportunity to really explore my business as a businesswoman, as opposed to an artist who's in business. Mm. Um, the first half of the class was just mourning my naivety. Mm. It was like so <laughs> painful to know that I couldn't go back to pretending like I didn't know. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But then after that, there was a real empowering part of knowing that, like I said, I had that shift in mentality yeah. of just trying to keep it safe and secure for everyone who was participating to being like, hey, this is a real platform that a lot of people participate in yeah. and we should be pushing it. We should yeah. push it until it explodes and self-destructs. We yeah. shouldn't like play it safe. Yeah. I was like, what happened to you, Shirley? You know? <laughs> Come on. Yeah. And then I got real excited and now we're like deep in the implementation process of some of those things that I learned. Wow. And, and maybe I had been learning them slowly through those 14... 
years, like right. you were referencing. Yeah. But it was really the the acknowledgement and the urging of the business advisors and my classmates. And they just kind of gave me the confidence mm-hmm. to do some of the things that maybe just seemed like far-fetched ideas. And like I was what, lucky example, that I had like made it. What were, what were some um, of those? One of the things we're doing is we're building a website right now that we're hoping to soft launch for holidays. It's oh, going nice. to be at the wolfbaitchicago.com address that our current informational website is, but it's going to be the first time that we really have e-commerce. Oh. But you're not going to be shopping from Wolfbait. It's a UX directory. So all of our artists will be able to log in and list their products. And when you purchase it, you purchase it direct, directly from the maker. Oh. It's another way to like lift up the micro businesses that we represent. Yeah. Um, there's also going to be all sorts of like community building aspects available to them when they log in Mm. like a list of other pop-ups they can participate in and they'll get feedback on the audience of fairs that they've already participated in like the wi-fi here sucks or this audience doesn't spend or you know just like so they can better choose where they spend their time trying to sell their goods Mm. it'll also have a list of sister stores like beard and wax wings saying hey have you have you reached out with your products to them they sell local stuff they sell handmade stuff you know So uh, really trying to be more of a resource for our makers than just a venue. That's something that's important to me. I feel like I've been so lucky to lead the life that I have. I want other people to be able to exist and thrive as makers. Yeah. And it's not an easy road. So anything I can do to kind of pave the way. Yeah. And another big thing that we're doing that I don't think I would have done if I hadn't done that class is we are answering an RFP from the Chicago Cultural Center currently. Okay. um, And they're looking for some sort of uh, local artist-based consignment commerce. It's a request for a proposal. Okay. So they reached out looking for... I need to take this class clearly. I didn't know what it was before the class. I joke all the time that I'm like, like, this would be like, I'd be like intimidating and done. (laughs) Uh, I don't know what that is. But because of just even even the lingo or even interacting, so there's about 30 people per cohort in that class. And they're of all ages and all industries. So Mm -hmm. there was like, like hardcore machinists from Woodstock and you know know, like the the business that that woman run was mind-boggling to me to understand that those parts are still manufactured it appealed to me because it was still like a creative process of manufacturing and it was still local made in America all that stuff that matters to me yeah Um, but there was like florists and um, non-for-profits that specialized in diversity headhunting and stuff like that so really interesting and inspiring people to surround yourself with yeah and the insights they had in your business that maybe had become kind of tunnel vision for you was like a great awakening. Yeah. So um, it also gave me the confidence to pursue this RFP. Now there's several people up for this bid, so it's definitely not a sure deal, but we're hoping to make it into a pop-up space for our makers. So it would be like kind of a themed per weekend fair for Mm -hmm. them, right? Like a pop-up space where they would sell their own goods directly to the customer, like another opportunity for them to reach a new market. And it would be in the Chicago Cultural Center downtown, which gets eight to 900,000 visitors a year. A lot of them tourists. It'd be a great way to tie it into the website too, because travelers won't have the opportunity to be repeat customers. Mm. But now that we're building out this new innovative web platform for our artists to be able, you know, it's hard for a maker to stand out online as one maker, even on Instagram, even any of that. Yeah, It just costs money. It does. It does. And you're just one person and maybe you only make one product, you know? Yeah. But if you group them together, like I joke that it's like unionizing the gig economy. (laughs) We're trying to get all these people that are doing these little special things together into a place where we're kind of more powerful as a group. Right. 
Yeah. Do you think that was a, that was an issue though for you where you got to a point where things were working really well and it was almost dangerous because you didn't like, you just kept doing the same thing. You know what I mean? You talked about like tunnel vision sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, I think that it, it's kind of fear based too. Like if you come from a place of like, like we did like very like bootstrap, like we started mm. our business like pre crowdsourcing, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like yeah. we were just, like, yeah. I was waiting tables, saving my tips, like, <laughs> right, pay, right. you know, like, when you do it that way, there it does create like a little bit of fear. Like mm. you've put a lot of yourself into this thing, a lot of like time and energy right. and work, you know what I mean? And you don't want to lose it, right? you know? Like mm. on the first day of class, I remember they were talking about like exit strategies and risk versus reward and stuff like that. And I'm like, I feel like I'm really lucky that I got to where I am and I don't want to mess it up, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. And not even that it's like particularly profitable, just that I'm proud of it. Right. Yeah, it's like uh, you're afraid to make like a sort of sidestep. Like, what if you lose all your customers? What if they don't think this is cool? What if no one comes back? Or like, what if I risk this venue that is beneficial for these 300 makers yeah. in order to try to do something bigger downtown where mm. maybe those people don't adhere to the kind of principles that we feel our community does? Yeah, yeah, it's tough. Or are you taking a big risk to, uh, you know, educate people about how they can get real quality, interesting yeah. and unique items in this socially conscious way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I'm, in, I'm interested as well, though, to go back to you backpacking and stuff. Oh, yeah. So yeah. how did you get to what were you doing before you you started backpacking and like living in a hostel over there? Well, I first attempted college at Marymount Manhattan in New York City. Are you from New York or? Nope. I am a pilot's daughter. Okay. So there was quite a bit of moving around. Okay. Um, and that's how I also got to do that adventuresome traveling. Mm. Back in the 90s when I was young, yeah. um, companion travel for relatives and friends of people who worked in um, air travel. Yeah. Uh, it was like a carbon copy credit card receipt. I don't know if you remember what those are like, like the old pizza man. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was like that. But I got to write my destination in it and like oh. sign my name to it. And then like take it to a booth and fly somewhere. Yeah. My mom worked for um, airlines and we used to do that all yeah, the time. Yeah. yeah. So that's free. how it used to be. Yeah. Sadly, another casualty of 9-11. Mm. They couldn't regulate that. And it was removed yeah. from opportunities for all those other people that are growing up in pilots households now. Yep. But for us, we reaped the benefits. Yeah. And, and I did. I fully did. I fully traveled as much as I possibly could with those companion passes. Where'd you all go? Um. Just well, I, I met a young woman named Noemi Lamassen, who's mm -hmm. still a dear friend of mine. She's a social worker in New York City, mm -hmm. um, but she's from France. And we dropped out of college together and went to France to where her parents had a little villa. And then we got a Eurorail pass. And back nice. in the day, it was like $150 a month. And you could get on the train in sure. Europe as many times as you wanted, right? Yeah. It's still pretty cheap. I went in 2000. 12 and it was still relatively cheap to it, ride it is yeah. it is like some of those things seem inaccessible right. like the life of a maker but it's not they need you us to tell it. them <laughs> yeah. that you can do this and you can have the uh a traditional life on, on the side you yeah. know yeah, right. yeah uh it's all possible but yeah i went with noemi to france and then we traveled around on those Eurorail passes and flew to like ireland and amsterdam and yeah. got like jobs that they would give us without visas like changing sheets and hostels and stuff like that but you made it work 
We made it work. Yeah. We made it work for a long time. She went back a little bit before I did. I remember staying at the Heathrow Airport like a year and some later, just waiting to get on a standby flight because yeah, they yeah. were booked, you know, and I was mm -hmm. just like living off the one bagel that I bought with the last bit of money yeah. I had, like waiting to get back to the States. Like, oh man, really pushed it to the limit this time. Yeah, I hope I make it back. Yeah, yeah. I'm nothing left. But uh, tr a fellow traveler that I had met um, had been living in this house in Pacifica, south of San Francisco. Okay. And she was like, my roommate's moving out. I know you're not doing anything <laughs> serious. <laughs> Come and stay there, you know? Yeah. And I did. How I long did. were you there for? In California? Yeah. Only a, a little over two years. Not very long. I didn't take to California. I neither. I lived there for six months and I didn't <laughs> Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Didn't like it. Yeah. There's no seasons. Mm -mm. I felt like it was Groundhog's Day. Yeah. I had the same critique. Yeah. I'm like, okay, okay. It's 85 or 90 again today. Oh, were you in with, Southern California? Yeah. Yeah. With no, with no clouds in the sky. I feel like I didn't even go to sleep. I just woke up and it was the same, same it's day. It's odd, especially yeah. for like people who are like born and raised Midwesterners. Like yeah. I spent most of my, most of my life in like Illinois and Michigan and like mm -hmm. Midwestern region. Me too, Wisconsin. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I miss the seasons a lot. Um, I also felt like the same experience I had in New York, I had in San Francisco. And that was the predominant feeling that you had to be native. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. I don't feel like Chicago's like that. I mean, Chicago assumes that everyone here is from Ohio. Like, like it's, <laughs> yeah, it's nobody's already, like, it's oh, in. you weren't like born and raised here. Then you're not really a Chicago. Yeah. No, everyone's like, oh, you've lived here for a winter. Then you're a Chicago. <laughs> yeah, you made, you it. made it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that welcoming Midwestern atmosphere. I totally prefer it. Yeah. And in, in L.A. too, I was in L.A., which was probably the worst out of all of them as far as that. It's like they don't want anyone else there. They don't want you to come there. You know, they're yeah. like, we have enough people. Don't come here. Like, that's <laughs> so in, unfriendly. Yeah, yeah. They don't want to talk to you. They don't want you to be a part of it. You yeah. Know? So, yeah, I had this a similar experience and um, I left. Uh, within like six months. Yeah. 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 I didn't good. even walk at graduation. The day of my last class, I left. <laughs> so I was like, I'm done. I'm not coming back. Get me Sorry. out of here. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then from there, what you moved to where? To Chicago. To Chicago. Uh, it was very romantic. My husband's very romantic. Yeah. I, I was like telling him I was dying to come back to Chicago. My parents were living here. I hadn't seen them in years because mm. I'd been traveling and doing all this sure. crazy stuff. And, um, I mean, it's so funny and it really makes me feel old when I'm always like, now this is before the internet. Like a lot of my stories are like, internet was always, not prevalent at this time. Yeah. Um, but you know, finding an apartment long distance mm. when that wasn't a possibility right. online was like a real How crazy do you do thing. That? Yeah. I don't, I don't even know. He like called old friends in Indiana where his parents <laughs> live to like have them suss up. Well, anyway, he yeah. got us an have apartment. Have you heard the news? Yeah. Is there anything? <laughs> Did you find a place? <laughs> yeah. A place that one of his acquaintances had previously rented was up for rent. Okay. And he gave me like a dozen roses and the like the the deposit receipt. Okay. Like, okay, I got us a place in Chicago. Oh. And nice. we re we rented like a Hornet uh U-Haul, you know, okay. the little yeah, yeah, yellow yeah. guy <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> brought like my sewing machine left behind my roller skates. They've since been replaced. Really? But, um, Couldn't fit those in? <laughs> hey, we joke all the time that we don't have anything that we moved here. Really? No. I mean, what we chose to bring at like 22 years old, mm, like. True. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. I don't really have a lot of stuff from back then either. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's getting to be 20 years ago. I mean, mm, yeah, that's a long time to yeah, hang yeah, on yeah, to. Yeah. And maybe that stuff is like better off retired. I mean, you probably could sell it for a lot of money now. <laughs> Some cool rollerblades or something. Yeah. 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 But, but uh, so you moved back here and I moved back here. Basically, started started from scratch. From I did. I I worked in the service industry for a long time. I worked at like Toast and the Map Room, mm -hmm. and uh, 
all during that time I was building my collection. I was selling at Penelope's. Yeah. I was like hustling. We were answering ads that used to be in New City when it was a free paper. And you would take out ads for maker meetups. And then we'd all meet at like oh. the art gallery that's on North Avenue next to Tattoo Tattoo. And then what would you do? Just hang out? You'd, be, you'd bring your stuff. You'd be like, this is what I make. This is what oh. you make. Where are you selling it? How do you sell it? Like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. What are we doing? There's no internet. <laughs> <laughs> this is how we network now. Yeah, yeah. it was like real... Yes, Jurassic nowadays it seems, right? Yeah, so from that point when you got uh when you got Penelope's, was there a point that you, your stuff got in more and more stores and you kind of saw like attraction? There was like a turning of the tides when I met my business partner Jenny Stadler. She was like, "You're ambitious and you're mm -hmm. going to get it and let's get it together. I'm also going to get it." Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we like got in cahoots and from there it like happened really fast. Before we opened our shop, when I was selling in Penelope's, I was lucky enough to get spotted by Women's Wear Daily, which mm. is like a big industry ma magazine mm -hmm. for fashion designers. Um, I didn't go that industry route, like mass production, New York Fashion Week, sure. because it just doesn't appeal to my sensibilities as far as like what my priorities are as a person. Mm -hmm. um, but it was still a great opportunity to get like press and also like legitimized me as someone who was like fashion notable. Yeah, sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah I know what you mean. Um, so... I think without that catalyst, I don't know if I would have had the confidence to take the risks I did, yeah. but it gave me like a little bit of notoriety to take a step. Even if it was off that path, it was still a step. Did they do a feature on you? or? Yeah, just, yeah. it was like bruiser cruises into the spotlight That's and then like sweet. all these pictures of my first collection, which was urban piracy because people were oh. stealing music. So then you got in that magazine. Was there a lot of... Um did you get like, did you hear from a lot of people from that, like that press? Were, were people impressed? Did people like your collection and stuff? Yes, but I had, uh, I had production issues, you know, I was, I was making oh. it, you know, yeah, sure. how, how much stuff can I make? Yeah. And then um, there's a lot of complications if you're trying to be a fashion designer um, and someone's buying your stuff wholesale, they want it like seasons in advance. And then if oh. they can't sell it, you have to buy it back from them. Jeez. And like they... Like so many industries, it's not in the maker's favor. Sure. Yeah. Um, they're based, they're trying to make money. They don't care about you, really. They don't really care about you. And you're competing with people who are making things for like a nickel a piece, like mm. in terrible conditions in Bangladesh. Yeah. You know, that was happening then. That didn't just start happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there was no way I could compete with the production value of fast fashion. I mm. couldn't be in, I couldn't compete with the groups that I was being kind of like, grouped with you know sure like i couldn't i couldn't compete with people who were manufacturing overseas which was something that didn't interest me and my customer wasn't the kind of person that was looking for like really high-end couture like gucci like okay. we were service industry people i mean yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i always wanted to have a store that i could afford to shop in i wasn't right. looking to like class climb through mm. art yeah i know what you mean yeah. so when you say fast fashion just i'm not in that industry so is that are people like that make really fancy clothes like you see on a runway, are they like outsourcing their sometimes to like... What's interesting is a lot of the stuff that's made on a runway for thousands of dollars is made in the same place as Forever 21 stuff. That's oh, like really? A see, I didn't know that. There's only so many factories making stuff. Yeah. I thought they made it for some reason. I don't know In why. real couture houses, sure. Yeah. But less and less. Yeah. You just know? Because it's not like in their interest or something. They just don't care. There's just not a lot of people that still have that um, skill, mm. right? Like uh, how many people are apprenticing to be couture seamstresses. And still, as the maker of a product, you were never the one who was best paid. 
just like so many corporate entities that you may be more familiar with, there's somebody sitting on top getting most of the money. Oh, yeah. And then there's all the other people that are doing the work. <laughs> that, are, yeah, that are getting paid almost nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Comparatively, yeah. yeah. So like the bringing the industry back to where it's like maker-led, to where it's like the person who made it that sells it to you, Yeah. Um, I think as important as it is for the economics, like we were just talking about, right. I think it's also very important for people to connect in person yeah to meet someone that made you something yeah you know I, I think it's just different I think there's magic to it and I think it's something that has made people lonely that our stuff is so separate from the people who made it mm. you know yeah yeah and from those people that have um have like uh, just like things in your store uh do you know them pretty much yeah all? yeah all? because most people deliver in person right oh, so sure. yeah. you're just like interacting with them in the store. Actually, the people part of the project is my favorite part. Yeah, I bet. And it's also cool. the way that it changes how you see something. Mm. We've all had that where you meet someone, you think they're like hot, and then you get to know them and they're like not. <laughs> or oh, the yeah. opposite, Tons right? right? Yeah. The same is true for the products, you know? Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm not that into it when I see this just see it. Right. But then I meet the person who made it. I hear a little bit more of the story. And then I'm like, wow, now I'm real into what yeah, you're making. That's you really know? cool. Yeah. Or just the opposite. Somebody comes in and is like, well, let's slap this together because, you know, whatever trends. <laughs> Trying to make And then trends. I'm like, you know, yeah. I'm definitely not getting one of those. <laughs> I'm much less you interested. You them. are not subscribing to the yeah. magic that I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it depends like person to person and meeting the people. Even today we had to meet the maker trunk show, which we host mm. all the time. And we have the different people that we represent in the store come in and be there in person with an extended amount of stuff, more than we can fit in our tiny space on the sure, regular. Sure. Yeah. And they get to see customer reactions to what they make, which yeah. helps them better shape their products and offerings and prices. Right. And the customer really enjoys seeing that there's a real person that created this stuff. Yeah. They like to see that this person has things in common with them that yeah. is different than maybe they expected sometimes. Right, right. Yeah, I always look at things, you know, that are like handcrafted and in stores like that. And I'm always just, I'm like, people can make this? You know, like it's yeah. so, sometimes it's so far from my, my sensibility of like ability to even like, comprehend how to do that you know but it's there and i'm like how does someone you know another person just do that it's, it, and that's where the workshops come in we right. call it sh skill sharing yeah yeah so another thing that's about collaborating over competing is most many of our makers are interested in teaching people the same skills that they're like profiting from it's right. not like a secret thing <laughs> Did you in the corner in the dark? <laughs> to know how to make a candle. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, it is. It's hard. But also when you learn how, like you were saying, yeah. you realize the effort that went in. And then maybe next time you see a handmade candle, you're not like upset about the $20 price right, You tag. look over, oh, that's really expensive. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, oh, I get it because yeah. I tried it and I know. Yeah. Or like so I'm aware odd. of the different materials that went into it or they're buying like soy that's sustainably farmed by mm -hmm. someone they know in Missouri. Right. This is true for Rocket Relics, one of the candle makers oh, himself. Yeah. <laughs> so like once you know the whole story and the effort she puts into using upcycled vessels to make mm. it environmentally friendly, like it's really a conscious process. And I think it goes back to this mindfulness that everyone's trying to, you know, know where their food comes from, right. know where their money goes when they spend it. You know, like a lot of people are unconsciously supporting politics they don't believe in yeah. because they're uneducated about the other resources they're using. Yeah. I, I think it's just, it's, yeah, becoming more, more knowledgeable of what you're, what you're doing. Um, our cat, this is a tangent, but our cat has herpes, which is not like human herpes, <laughs> uh, just to clarify. <laughs> um, it's uh, it's like a respiratory uh, thing 
So she has like trouble breathing sometimes and, and she Aww. gets like boogers and stuff like that. Um, it's it's like, uh, <laughs> I don't know where she went, but it's uh, it's common in like shelters because they're all close together right, right, and, right. and it spreads through the water and stuff. But I spent probably five hours researching um, air air uh, filter things. Purifiers, yeah. yeah. And because apparently a lot of them have like this ozone thing where they excrete like ozone particles into your house which can like make it like damage your lungs yeah and they're selling these just yeah. like out to people people for a long time have believed that like the government or the fda or like different associations whether they be not-for-profits or whatever that like there's enough of them to protect them <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but like, it's, it's fine it's, it's it's not really true i mean it's a cumbersome task to try and educate yourself about every decision you have to make as a modern human you yeah. can't do it but um Take heed when you do hear, you know, I mean, cite their sources. There's rumors out there right. too, but um, you kind of got to pick a couple battles and really fight for them, you know? Yeah, but it was crazy. It was like, there's probably like five or six I was looking at and I like was looking at all these reviews and stuff and they're like, oh, this one, yeah, emits ozone. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's exactly what I want to purify my air, put more into the yeah. air and damage my lungs. 100%. Cool. They were talking about that during the candle workshop again because we sell soy candles mm -hmm. because so many candles are actually made with carcinogens. Right. When like you you're like, oh, I like... need to relax. Let me light this candle that's going to give me cancer. Like <laughs> how relaxing is that? I open every single yeah. window when I burn candles because it's so terrible. Yeah. For yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty crazy. So um, so with your store, uh, are there any sort of um, like makers that have come forth towards you recently that you're really excited about? Like any new stuff you've gotten in that even for the holidays coming up? That yeah, I'm sort of always really excited to meet new makers and I love how thrilled they are uh, with that first or first several sales. Yeah. Um, it's exciting when somebody isn't already um, having success on their own online or at pop-ups, you know, and yeah. it's the first time that they're really reaching out to the customer. I yeah. think that's always really exciting. Um, I think it's also exciting the skill sharing, the makers that step up and want to teach other people how to make stuff. I think that's a really yeah. important part of what we do. Um, but we have new stuff every day. Really? A new every artist day. every week. That's really cool. Um, and people are rotating in and out. You know, a lot of them are hobbyists. So they created something, maybe oh, a sure. collection of things and, and they try and sell it. Yeah. And yeah. like, maybe it sells, maybe it doesn't. A lot of them realize like, wow, I didn't get rich from making this thing. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to still try do again. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's different reactions to yeah. having your product be public. Mm. It's kind of a brave thing to do. It is, especially with art and stuff, you know, you're yeah. in for something you're crafting and taking time out of your day that you're really passionate about. And you're just putting it out there and yeah. hoping that someone likes it. Yeah. And then we get to hear all those critiques like in real mm. time in the store. You know? Yeah, sure. So and it's sometimes they're there to hear them. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Do customers when they walk through and there are makers there, do they like say negative stuff? Because I don't th I would never want to. I would be so nervous to say anything. Well, bad. a lot of people don't realize that it is the place um, that it is upon arrival. Okay. A lot of people do, but a lot of people don't. I've definitely had my designs like mocked by customers. While you're there? While I'm there. Well, oh. they don't know that I made it. Do you know what do I mean? Do you say anything or just kind of like... Lots of times I'll be like, oh, I made that. <laughs> you know, I'm not above making people uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, but my collection is always very playful. And like mm -hmm. the one piece that I'm really thinking of, I bought this quilted like pot holder fabric that had pictures of corn stalks on it. Mm-hmm. And I made little mini skirts that I called the stalker. Oh, and people were like, this is a pot holder. Like people were like, what the? I love it. I still wear it to this day, but yeah. that definitely got like a lot of mixed reviews, okay. you know? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, 
or, you know, because there's a lot to do with body image with what I sell as mm. well. There's a lot of people that will criticize the garment, but really themselves, mm. you know, like this would look terrible on me or who yeah, does yeah, this yeah. fit or, you know, that sure. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we always encourage people to try out our very flattering fitting room. Yeah. And we do offer custom alterations on stuff that I make there in the store. Oh, cool. And if I still have fabric left, I've often done um, custom cut. So if oh. you're smaller or bigger or taller or longer or something than the off the rack size I've provided and I still have fabric available, I'll mm -hmm. like adjust my pattern to suit you. Oh, that's cool. Um, because I really want to be inclusive. Yeah, right. And again, the magic of connecting directly with someone who cares about what you're doing and putting your life into, mm -hmm. it matters. And you want them to feel like anyone can participate in that Especially, yeah, especially if they're coming in and they're interested and that's the only thing that's like deterring them from it, that yeah. it just won't fit them, yeah. you know, or something. Plus I'm a lady. Yeah. I'm not only a lady, I'm a mom. Yeah. So, I mean, mom body is for real. <laughs> like, I want to know that there's going to be something there that's going to like do me a favor. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't know, actually. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am not a mother. Well, I'm sure there's people out there that understand what I'm talking about. Yeah, and that, that's like sure. a big goal of Bruiser now is to make sure that it's like uh, making me better than I am without it. Yeah. <laughs> that's the new uh the new goal yeah yeah <laughs> well okay so is when is the website sort of um transitioning to the point where there's going to be makers on is that close to the in we were really on? hoping to do a soft launch for holiday like a shop in store online yeah. but we're not there yet okay. the holidays are fast approaching yeah, so really fast. stay tuned you know yeah it's still going to be wolfbaitchicago.com okay um, we're most active right now on our Instagram, which is at Wolfbait Chicago. We have a highlight that is upcoming events, and it'll show you a lot of our um, workshops and mm. trunk shows, Meet the Maker events. Yeah. Um, we also do pop-up kind of crafting hours at Sip of Hope. It's a not-for-profit oh, coffee shop. Yeah. yeah. So we have one scheduled for December 10th, and it's like a card making. So you can oh. reach out to maybe somebody you love or want to show appreciation to, or maybe an apology to somebody maybe you were not so nice to. Mm -hmm. um, but all good things to do around the holidays, no matter how you celebrate. And so we'll have lots of free um, supplies for everyone to share and get creative. It's totally free to participate. Yeah. Um, and it's from 5 to 7 on December 10th. Um, we also have more um, workshops coming up. We have a vintage royalty earring making class on December 5th. We have uh, Meet the Maker Trunk Shows. I know on December 18th, we have Into the Pines. She also teaches our air plant making workshop, okay. but she makes a lot of beautiful jewelry and she'll oh, cool. be there selling her goods as well. And that's all available on that highlight reel on Instagram. Cool. We also post a lot of what's incoming, you know, mm -hmm. new artists all the time on yeah. our Instagram. And once we get the website launched, it will contain all that information in an event calendar where you can register online and stuff like that. Awesome. Yeah, and you said, what are your hours again at the store? We're open... Monday through Saturday from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. And Sunday from 10 to 4. Nice. Yeah. So pretty much every day of the week and you can stop in there. The holidays are fast approaching. Yes. So get on that. I I usually am on top of it and I have not started holiday shopping. Well, yet. even if you wait till the last minute, we have complimentary gift wrapping. You can stick it right under the tree, under the menorah, whatever you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and my last question is, do you have a lot of people from Logan Square that are that are creators that are in your shop? We do have a lot of people from Logan Square, but really we reach all neighborhoods in the city. That's cool. Um, and the outskirts. I mean, I think our farthest away maker is in Peoria. It's a chocolate maker. I used to go to school there. I used to. I went to school there. 
<laughs> everything in the past is used to. So <laughs> I went to school there um, at Bradley University in Peoria. So oh, yeah, cool. I'm yeah. familiar with it. Um, ephemeral well, chocolates, I think it's called. Ephemeral? Yeah. Oh, I, I haven't heard of them. But I can go to the shop and pick some up. Delicious. Some up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, well, thank you so much for being on. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks for having me. 